On this episode, we look forward to 2021 and back on the weird year that was 2020 with Mia Bays, Delphine Levens and Alison Gardner, who remembers a certain film that was re-released this year. I'd forgotten how relevant and gritty and awful that, what is it, 20 years later we're still talking about the same things? Plus, we hear from female filmmakers about the challenges they overcame this year. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. This week we're partnering with Bird's Eye View to bring you an extra special show. A rundown of the female-directed movies of 2020. Despite the knockbacks the industry has faced this year, the volume of female-directed films has reached new heights. First up, I talk with three guests. Mia Bays from Bird's Eye View... Delphine Levens, who's a senior box office analyst for Gower Street, and Alison Gardner, who's the CEO at Glasgow Film. Well, Mia, Delphine and Alison, welcome to this very special episode of Girls on Film. Hello. Hi. It's lovely to have you with us. Um, now, we were talking about 2020 and what an extraordinary year in so many ways it has been. Um, <laughs> Alison's rolling her eyes there on Zoom. Um, Mia, talk to me, what has the year been like for female filmmakers from your perspective, from Bird's Eye View? Well, actually, actually, kind of interestingly, I mean, I think this is true of lots of sectors and, you know, lots of different areas of culture, too, that actually there's been opportunities as well as obvious obstacles and threats because of the pandemic. And one of the opportunities is that smaller films have found more space because all the big movies have been pulled from the theatrical release schedules, particularly. And the smaller budgeted films, independent films, disproportionately more likely to be written by women, directed by women. Um, and so therefore there's been opportunities where the big films have been pulled. Uh, more films by women particularly have stepped into the breach. So we track uh, how many films um, are released every week that are by written by women, directed by women. And I'm very happy to report that 25% of all UK cinema releases this year were um, by women, and that's up 5% from 2019. And October this year recorded a historic high that was 30, 38% of all um, films that were released, um, both theatrically and online, actually, because even what qualifies as a theatrical release is, as Delphine will get to, um, slightly um, difficult when cinemas are closed, but effectively a kind of, you know, first run, premiere run release. 38% of all films were um, by women. And that, I mean, that we've never had that. And I think it was in September or August, there were four films that were, by, by British women all released on the same day. That's never happened. Yeah, I remember tweeting about that. It was so exciting. It was like, oh my gosh, this is what it should be like every week. And, and what was so nice is that I noticed that the public responded so well to that. People were celebrating that. It's like, yes. Um, thank you, Mia. Well, that's exciting stuff in a, in a, in a very odd year. Um, Delphine, would you like to speak a bit to that from your perspective and the kind of work that you do and why you think um, this situation has occurred? 
Yeah, sure. So like Mia said, I think it's really interesting kind of looking at some of the trends that have occurred this year. Um, and I've really just been sifting through the data, looking at everything that was released this year, actually, to jog my memory, because I don't know about anyone else, but I've lost all sense of time, really. And um, yeah, it's it's like Mia was saying, I think audiences are kind of willing to be a bit more experimental. Obviously, audiences were smaller as well, but, you know, we're kind of seeing um yeah really interesting spread of films um and i think yeah it was quite interesting one of the things i did is i drilled down into genre and um 31 percent of the horror films released this year were directed by women which i thought was quite interesting um and four of the top 10 horror films were directed by women so there's definitely something to be said maybe about genre filmmaking kind of being a bit more um willing to take I guess, perceived risks or more kind of being a bit more modern and looking to diversify. But I think, yeah, I think everything has kind of changed as a result of this year. And I think, you know, it's proved that, you know, non-studio titles can do really well. And things like St Maud, you know, a British horror making nearly a million at the box office would be good in a non-pandemic time. So considering kind of everything that's going on, it's a really strong result. Dear God. Here is Amanda. Well, you know that. Thank you for bringing us together, Lord. And thank you for this meal, which we gratefully receive. Bless Amanda's body, which is hurting now, but has done so many wonderful things. And bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. And reach out to her like you did to me. Amen. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> I feel it too. Um, and things like On the Rocks as well which did nearly 500k at the box office. And that's a film that was, you know, going on to, to Apple TV quite soon. And, you know, I think that has quite obviously proven that, you know, uh, a, a short run in theatrical before going on to a streaming service isn't harmful. It's actually, you know, it can, it can do quite well. Does my foot smell funny? Because <laughs> I was wondering. We're watching Breaking Bad. What? It's really good. It's a great show. Have you seen it? Yes, I have seen it. It's great. It's not for kids. What? Was there something bad on? No. Yeah. Hey, look, I can shuffle. Oh, wow, that's great. <laughs> we learned that all young girls should know how to shuffle and how to... Bluff. Bluff, right. <laughs> and how do you bluff? Poker face. Poker face. Poker face. Poker face. Nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, we're seeing some really interesting trends coming out of this year. And the hope really is that, um, you know, people who acquire films will be willing to kind of acquire a bit more of a range of content, more willing to kind of acquire and release films by women. And hopefully cinemas will be more open to kind of playing this content as well. Um, because... Yeah, I think there's there's kind of no going back from the situation we're in now. There's a lot of discussion going on about 
um, how long the space between theatrical release and home entertainment is. Um, there's a lot of conversation going on about the values of a blockbuster and what even makes a blockbuster. Um, so yeah, I think I think this year has accelerated a lot of conversations that were already being had um, and brought a lot of issues to the forefront, which is really interesting. That is a lot of interesting stuff in there. I'll come back to some of that in a minute. Thank you, Delphine. Um, Alison, um, Delphine obviously mentioned cinemas there. What a tough year for cinemas um, in the industry in general. How have you seen actual physical cinemas respond to the challenges of 2020? I think um, the interesting thing is that independent cinemas have really risen to the challenge, whereas obviously the multiplexes having a lot of their eggs in one bond basket didn't really help them, to be honest. Um, obviously, it's a different model, but I think independent sector really has championed the way. Um, it feels very safe, for example. It feels um, really um, innovative. It feels really challenging in terms of its programme. My concern, and I think Delphine's point is great, that, that, that these are accelerated conversations. My concern is that cinema doesn't feel obliged just to start putting on lots of mainstream stuff in order to get more bums on seats and, and, you know, bring up the money for them, that we continue to take chances, that we continue to champion filmmaker, filmmakers from all sorts of different backgrounds, that that's really important that we continue to do that. We don't fall back into the old trap. So we obviously showed St Maud, for example, and On the Rocks and all those things, but we would have shown them anyway. <laughs> so it wasn't very different for us, but it has been a very challenging year for a lot of cinemas. And I suspect that probably after next year, when we come back into maybe May, June, when things are back to some semblance of normality, that probably about a third of the cinemas in the UK will be closed. That's so sad, isn't it? That is so sad. God. I mean, we've been, we've been saying, you know, probably one of the most important things you can do right now as a film fan is if you're safe and able is to go and see a film on the big screen. I mean, it's just cinemas need our support so badly. Um, what can people do aside from that, um, Alison? What can people do to support their local cinema? Well, support your local not-for-profit making cinema that has been doing the right thing, like Glasgow Film Theatre, paying all its staff 100% of their wages. I think that is really important that we reward. Let's reward the good people. Let's not give any of our money to the naughty people in the naughty set this Christmas. Let's give all the good people our money. So you can donate. You can, uh, we have a lot, we, we do a lot of uh, revenue sharing um, with uh, modern films, for example. Dogwoof, um, Altitude, a lot of the, the, the films have gone online. We've worked with a distributor, so we're sharing the revenue with them. So that's been great. We also have our own online player, so support that as well. And again, we pay our filmmakers 50% of the net profits for that. So I think these models are really coming into their own. And you can really widen your viewing if you, if you are don't feel safe and are unable to come to the cinema when it's open, then do support them in other ways by booking the film through your local art house cinema for and share the profit. That's a really good point. I think, you know, so many people think ethically about how they shop in lots of ways, but do we think ethically about how we consume our films? And I think that's a really important point. Mia, did you want to speak to that at all as well? Yeah, I think this is a really essential point. And I don't think, I think it, it it would have come this quickly had it not been for the pandemic that actually we started having conversations about conscious consumerism, which we've been trying to have for a while anyway around gender. But this now, as Alison points out, is around 
you know, cultural icons in your in your area. You know, how all our worlds got much smaller, and you know, we started to pay much more attention to what's happening on our local door, on on our doorsteps and in our local communities. And so, keeping your cinema alive when it's closed, you know, is now possible actually because of being able to view films online. And instead of seeing them on the big platforms that don't pay any tax, uh, you you can know where your money's going. And that's a really important thing. And none, none of this was happening before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I've loved to see the way that, that, you know, independent cinemas have come together and you say people like modern films have supported them. And it's it's wonderful. And it's a no-brainer if you're wanting to buy a film, just go somewhere that supports that and that aids cinema in general. Um, Delphine Ormier, I mean, you've both been talking about some really interesting statistics that we've had this year. Um, what about the intersectional statistics? Can anyone speak to that? I mean, I've been looking quite closely at kind of um, black British directors quite recently um, and I mean the unfortunate thing is that um, there's very few films released by black British directors at all we average about three a year um, and of the group of black British directors that have reduced films released films recently um, and, you know I think in the past 10 years only three of them were women so I think in the UK we definitely have a lot of work to do in in the US things are maybe looking a bit better we had Queen and Slim, obviously, by Melina Matsoukas this year. Um, we also had Clemency. Um, and I know, obviously, it's been pushed, but we were meant to have Nia da Costa's Candyman this year as well. Um, but looking, yeah, more at kind of the female um, contingent releasing films in the UK, I think the only woman of colour we have from this year is Rubika Shah, who released White Riot. Captain is the great blues guitarist, and here he is supporting the greatest supporter of white supremacy in Britain. Bowie was coming out with a lot of crap as well at the time. The invaders have got black, brown, and yellow faces. So I would say that definitely the um, the kind of uh, yeah the ethnic makeup still is kind of quite quite lacking, really, um, unfortunately. Um, so I guess that's kind of, that's the next frontier we need to address, really. Things are getting better for female directors, but I think very much so weighted in favour of white female directors. Um, I don't know, yeah, if Mia, you want to speak to that at all? Because um, I know I mentioned some of the things that you've worked on. Um, I agree, and and that's why we're, yeah, there's a lot more work to do on that, and we, we're definitely keen to champion not just British films, but, yeah, international films by not just women of colour, but people like we did work on Crip Camp because disability on screen and behind the camera is like woeful. And so a film like Crip Camp, although it bypassed cinemas and is a Netflix title, is such an exemplary, wonderful film uh, that we felt like that was really important to champion and that's co-directed by a woman. Wait, you want me to tell me what happened? <laughs> well, two people got cramps and they're spreading. <laughs> we were all very hyper about it. And I have to go shower some people. I'll see you later. I wanted to be part of the world, but I didn't see anyone like me in it. I hear about a summer camp for the handicapped run by hippies. Somebody said you probably will smoke dope with the counselors, and I'm like, sign me up. Come to Camp Jeanette and find yourself. There I was. I was in Woodstock. Sometimes. 
you wouldn't be picked to be on the team back home. But at Jeanette, you had to go up the back. Even when we were that young, we helped empower each other. It was allowing us to recognize that the status quo is not what it needed to be. And, you know, Rocks, I think, is a really interesting example because that's co-directed and co-written um, by women of colour and it's a partnership between women of colour and, and white women. Um, and I think, actually, in a way, that's an important... It's, that is an important partnership to lift up because I think Sarah Gavron, you know, she set out to make sure that she couldn't just tell that story by herself. And so... You know, we did a we did an on on screen interview um, that went out to like seventy cinemas across the country, which was all of the creatives talking together, and it was really wonderful to see. And I feel like that's a great blueprint for future. Yeah, I thought it was so humbling and brilliant that that Sarah did that. We had her and Anu Enriquez on the show at the beginning of the year, and it was wonderful to see how they worked together and collaborated together, and how much stronger the product was because of that generosity of spirit on all sides. I think. <laughs> Oh. Welcome to the future. <laughs> and then, I'm going to... Rox, can you do my eyebrows? Or like, or just do my makeup? Sorry, Agnes. I don't really have stuff. For your colour, because I never get white clients. Alison, talk to me about the films that have been highlights for you this year. Is there anything we haven't mentioned that you feel that has either been a success or just that, that you absolutely loved, particularly from female makers? Um, I, I really loved Proxima, which was our opening gala um, this year at the film festival. And I feel that it didn't really get a fair shot at getting the audience that it really deserved. I, I really loved it. All right. Well, I never thought I'd be saying the last mission before Mars and yet here we are making last preparations for the long journey. Thank you. You have a daughter, right? Yes. Still up. I think you ought to ask him to lighten your load. And, I, and the same for a portrait of a lady on fire. It's lots of people's top ten, but we were able to show it um, not at the festival at Glasgow Film Theatre, and then of course we were, had loads of loads of screenings lined up, and then obviously we shut. So it didn't really get a fair crack of the whip, so to speak. So those two are the two. Certainly films by women that I would say were absolutely fantastic this year. But, I mean, I love things like Uncut Gems, Invisible Life that we had at the festival. And seeing La Haine again on the big screen when we reopened, we were able to show that. was a standard. I'd forgotten how relevant and gritty and awful that, what is it, 20 years later we're still talking about the same things? I feel as if I'm caught in some time loop from the, the 1970s when, you know, when I was championing feminism and we're, my children are at university in feminist clubs and we still have these things. And I was like, why is this not all sorted by now? I know. It's like, why is, why is Girls on Film even necessary? But it's just, it's just yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of absurd, isn't it? But it's, but it's important. And the cinema has a really helpful way of putting us in that time warp and reminding us how far 
we need to go as well as how far we've come. I mean, I'm, I'm actually just come from a screening of Wonder Woman 1984, thinking of time warps, and it is terrific. I've got to say, I am so happy to say that. Uh, I can't review it now um, yet, but I can say that it, I'm just so happy to see something mainstream and blockbuster directed by women. When it came up, a Patty Jenkins film and thing, I thought, yes, come on, you know, this is what we need is women helming mainstream blockbusters and, and big films with a very positive, peaceful, I would say in many ways, kind of female message. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. The time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. Now we're all championing independent film, film here, but does anyone want to speak to the importance of balancing, you know, both independent film and blockbusters when we're talking about female directors and, and their impact? I mean, I'm I'm happy to. I obviously looking at kind of because I'm a box office analyst, uh, my attention is normally drawn to kind of studio output first because that's the kind of most profitable and it's interesting actually because I thought I'd compare the top 10 from this year and the top 10 from last year to see if we had more films by women in the top 10 this year and we don't actually um but this year we had one which was Birds of Prey uh Kathy Yellen um and then last year we had Frozen 2 and Captain Marvel although interestingly those were both co-directed um by women um, but I think it is really important. I think obviously I touched on the horror thing as well. Um, the highest grossing horror of this year, Invisible Man, um, that was directed by Lee Wannell. Um, and I think, you know, we're starting to see, um, franchises bringing female directors on board. Obviously Chloe Zhao's doing a Marvel film, which is amazing. And I think it's good that we're just making female directors more visible because obviously we're very concerned with the world of independent film, you know, um, in what uh, Bird's Eye View does and, you know, in my personal interests. But actually, when you think about kind of the general public at large, a lot of the time, the kind of top 10, top 20 films of the year are the only ones they're really aware of anyway. Um, so I think it's really important that we're kind of, yeah, that female directors are kind of penetrating those, you know, top 10, top 25 lists um, as well. Um, because, yeah, it's just more visibility. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's showing young people, if she could see it, she could be it. So hopefully the future filmmakers of the future are, are watching now and seeing Patty Jenkins and seeing this stuff and thinking and reaching for the stars. Um, Mia, talk to me a little bit about what Birds Eye View specifically have done this year, if there's anything we haven't spoken about, because I know you've been working really hard. Yeah, it's been non-stop. Have, um, we pivoted fast online as soon as all the cinemas closed and, you know, we felt like it was our duty really to kind of keep be active and also provide a place for all the cinemas that we work with to point their audiences at as well you know when they were just I mean in shock you know we've never had to we've never encountered cinemas closed like this before so we've been doing a lot um in terms of online activity and online events and it's really nice to be able to kind of innovate and and we've been doing a lot more kind of filmed content provided to cinemas. So cinemas can eventize shows when they open, but they don't have the kind of difficulties of like having people actually, you know, in the cinema, but the filmmakers can be on screen and can say something really personal and not just like a pat introduction, like we're providing more assets like that. 
which is getting really good feedback from cinemas and from audience members as well. So I'm kind of that innovation. I think we were starting it before lockdown, but it, again, it accelerated. So I think there's lots of ways that you know we're trying to think about how can we help cinemas bring audiences back in, whilst also acknowledging that still for a few months more, some people will not want to go in. So therefore, how do we then help? VOD and viewing at home be more fair and equitable, lift up the platforms like Modern Films, Dogworth, all the kind of really good distributors. They're all they're all building their own online home end platforms. So then it's beholden to us to kind of help the consumer find them and give codes so it's, you know, their incentives to see those films and also that the cinemas benefit from the from the download um, or streaming too. That's a whole new model. So I think this is kind of exciting. There's a lot of um, the bets are off really. There are a lot of there are a lot of things that were kind of really being held onto by the big power players, which are kind of untenable now of just like left them behind. And so that's kind of exciting because I feel like that the yeah the landscape's going to look very different as Alison said it's going to be bad for some and that's really sad but there all there also is room for innovation and for other kind of key players coming through and that's a good thing. Alison, I believe you've got some exciting news that you can share with us. Yes, um, the um, Glasgow Film Festival is happening. Woohoo! <laughs> Um, so um, I was obviously not going, I was going to bow out of Glasgow Film Festival at some point, but because I'm now the CEO and I have quite a lot on my plate, but I decided that I didn't want to go out online. I wanted a full house of people weeping and throwing rose petals as I walked on to Barbara Streisand's Don't Rain On My Parade. I'm not doing it online. <laughs> Good for you. You might have a flair for the dramatic. Um, so we are partnering this year with 22 cinemas across the UK. So um, from Stornoway in the, the Highlands right through to London, we've got um, Curzon Soho, the BFI South Bank and Barbican in London, Home in Manchester, the Watershed in Bristol chapter. Lots of the people who I've met through Mia's fantastic innovation when we've been working with lots of different women have signed on and been very proactive. So that's been great. And we have announced our opening and closing galas. Our opening gala is um, Minari with um, Stephen Young, Yun, so who most of you will know from as Glenn from The Walking Dead, <laughs> who I, I was very, very upset when he was killed. And then we're closing with Spring Blossom, Suzanne Linden's film. So it's a lovely love story written and directed by her. It's a debut feature. She's a very young woman. She's only 20. So it's a fantastic um, punty up if you like to her so and the film's great it's got it's about uh, her journey from being a, a girl to a woman and she's super articulate she knows her own mind you know and it's a love story and it's set in Paris and it's just what you need in spring and it's about hope and love and oh becoming yourself is great so that sounds like one for girls on film great stuff I'm looking forward to that Great. Um, Delphine, what are your hopes for the next year for 2021 and women filmmakers specifically? Um, I just hope that we can continue this innovation we're seeing um, and continue the kind of conversations we're having around diversity as well. I think this year has kind of blown everything open, opened up a lot of things for discussion because our traditional business models don't work anymore. 
Um, and I really hope that that conversation will continue, you know, even if we're all vaccinated up and ready to go by summer or whenever it might be. Um, we really need to continue these conversations because, you know, the cinema industry, the film industry was kind of in need of some, some innovation, some new voices for a long time. Um, and I think this year has kind of highlighted where some of those might come from. So just I really hope that we can continue having those conversations. Um, and I really hope I can get to a cinema to watch some of the Glasgow Film Festival films because <laughs> sounds like it's going to be brilliant. So, yeah. I hope we can all meet there. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, Mia, what particular projects are you working on that you can reveal at the moment that people should look out for? Well, there's a few things just come imminent that are released um, soon. Um, I, Human and Cocoon. So they're two really strong I mean, fabulous AI doc, which is absolutely terrifying, but essential for everyone to watch because we really all need to know about how AI is going to dominate our lives and what we can do about that. And and then um, Cocoon, which is a really fabulous lesbian coming of age film, which is just really beautifully done. And it just felt like such a breath of fresh air that was needed right now. We were really keen to work on it. And then a, a wonderful, really quite very, very unusual doc called The Mole Agent, which is this Chilean documentary about an old man who's sent into a care home to be like a detective and go kind of undercover. And it's just so beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I've seen film. that. It's adorable, it's just, isn't it? It's just like heartwarming. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I just absolutely love that film. And then next year, the film that has to sweep the Oscars is Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, Frances McDormand's extraordinary, extraordinary performance. I mean, a, just a wonderful film. I can't wait to work on that. Hey, Bert. Hey, Linda. Come over and join us. No, I'm just going to take a little walk. Okay. Be back soon. Yeah, I'm super excited to see everyone get to see No Man Land because obviously it's just only been at festivals um, before now. And I think it's going to be a big story. I mean, you mentioned awards. That's an interesting point. I mean, obviously, um, it looks very, very different this year in terms of awards, in terms of the films that qualify and people have had to change their criteria. And are more female filmmakers going to get a look in, perhaps for not for the best reasons, but could this be a really good awards year for female filmmakers? Yeah, I think, I, think, I think it might be because, you know, the, they've really risen to the fore. I mean, part of the issue is probably from some distributors, they put these films out because they weren't the ones that they thought were going to be the big hitters, if you like. So they were, you know, let's get them out there. But actually, the reverse has happened. They've done much better than they had probably expected. So hopefully that shines a light that, that you know, taking a chance, being smarter with your distribution pattern will work and audiences will respond. And then in terms of awards, then there's a lot of choice for the people who award the awards for them to choose from. I was just going to say, I think the Biffa nominations came out today um, and St Maud is leading those nominations with a record 17 noms. So <laughs> if that, that is hopefully, I mean, obviously Biffa's are very UK focused, but, um, and obviously Rocks has a lot of nominations at Biffa's as well. Um, so we can really hope that that's a sign of, sign of things to come. And also the BAFTA, 
to, um, you know, the criteria has changed. So again, you know, like all bets are off this year, A, for a lot of the reasons that Delphine and Alison cited, but also because under a lot of pressure, BAFTA have, have, have innovated and changed their criteria. And so I think it's just in the director category, but basically there, ha there will be, in terms of like the short list, there has to be um, 10 male directors and 10 female directors shortlisted. So it means that there's been, and I think the Academy have also had some, they've done a lot obviously to, um, as in the US Academy, have done a lot to change their voting pools as a BAFTA. And therefore this will make a major difference. You know, it feels like they are listening and this is a good thing because then it means it's just gonna be much possible for smaller films to get through because it's all about the process. If, you know, the, the small films just always lose out because they just don't have the resources. Yeah, I'm very excited to see all the changes that BAFTA have made, actually. And I think it's really, really positive. And they thought about it and consulted about it at length. Um, and, and tries to, ways to avoid, like Biffa have been doing, ways to avoid unconscious bias in voting and to make sure that enough people see everything and that it's a level playing field and that titles don't get overlooked because people make assumptions about them. So, yeah, I think the next few years, hopefully, will be quite exciting in terms of the award season and recognition for women. So, yay. Um, anything else anyone wants to bring up? No, I just want to push my uh, message and I'll say Mia's sick of hearing this, but I think that we really need to get behind people not profit. I think we really need to rethink how we do this because that will change the dynamic about all the things that we've just talked about is really putting people first at the heart of what you do. And it's not saying that you can't make money, but you shouldn't be maltreating people for the sake of making profit. I think that that message just has to change. We've seen, we've seen it for too long and it just, I'm just saying stop it, stop it now and make it stop. That's all I'm going to say. Weirdly, that is kind of the message of Wonder Woman 1984. So that's a good way to end the year. <laughs> um, yeah, and, it, and obviously I was going to touch on how we've all examined our behaviour, hopefully, and had time to think about how we do things in life. And as Mia was saying, you know, focus more on community. Maybe this will also affect the kind of films that people are looking to see and the kind of messages that are being well received. So it is a, a terrible things have happened this year, but I hope we can come out of it with a film industry that in some ways has found some silver linings and some positivity out of it. Yeah, just to, to add to that, I think it's our job as an industry to hold on to that and, and for the independent voices who are agitators, like all of us here really, in some ways, we're both industry and agitators, that what doesn't happen is profit gets centred and, you know, as Alison said, because everyone wants to get back to normal, in inverted commas, and therefore the kind of same old, same old, you know, gets privileged and all of the good work around diversity and inclusion gets pushed aside with the age old argument that, you know, we need to we need to be commercial whatever usually that means, no one ever qualifies it. And that success, we've changed what success means and that we hold on to that. And, and success gets measured with diversity and inclusion criteria instead of just around money. Very well said. Delphine, anything to add? I mean, yeah, I absolutely agree with what Mia and, and Alison have just said, really. I think, um, you know, we've we've seen this year that, you know, 
we had to put commerciality aside. We, you know, we had to adapt to provide films for audiences in different ways. And the companies that are doing well at the moment are the ones that were kind of really willing and ready to do that, the smaller independent companies. So I think it's, you know, we've, we've shaken things up this year. I don't think there is a normal to go back to. And hopefully, you know, people who are just kind of plodding along, I mean, I'm not naming any names, but just producing, you know, bland blockbuster after bland blockbuster are going to have to kind of really rethink what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, no, just agreed. I hope we can just keep, keep hold of the lessons that we've learned this year. This year on Girls on Film, we've heard from many fantastic women directors. Some of these include Chinoye Chukwu on her film Clemency. So I committed years of my life to not just researching, but to advocating for the very people I was representing. So I created a film program where I taught women who are incarcerated to make their own short films from script to screen. And I volunteered on about 14 clemency cases. And that is the work that was the most life-changing because it expanded my capacity for compassion. And we also heard from Channing Godfrey Peoples about Miss Juneteenth. Miss Juneteenth in particular, you know, I was telling a story about this Black woman who is navigating this dream that she feels like she's lost, you know, and she's finding a new way to reconcile it. And it's an interior story about this Black woman. So these stories are made far and few between, you know, especially stories, complex stories with Black women leads. Now we've got some special messages from filmmakers about overcoming some of the challenges for film in 2020. Hi, my name is Tony Hassan Shea and I'm the director of iHuman. iHuman was set to be released early 2020, right when this pandemic shut down most of our world. As a filmmaker, it has been a hard year, but it has also been a year full of gratitude for all the support from my female networks. And I'd like to give a deep thank you to my family at Chicken and Egg and Think Film Impact Production for always being there. I couldn't have done this without you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Halina Dirschka, a film director from Berlin in Germany. My documentary film, Beyond the Visible, about Hilma of Klint was released this fall in cinemas in the UK and Ireland. Or better to say, it was streamed with the cinemas. Even if everything was very different and strange this year, um, for our film, it went quite well under the circumstances. We got fabulous reviews from The New York Times, The Times and The Guardian. And although we already had troubles in financing the film about an ignored and not very well-known artist, uh, in the end, everything worked well. Nevertheless, the situation was so strange. Uh, but we also had a lot of institutions who were interested in doing online Q&As and that was a great possibility for people to participate um, after all. So in the end I think it was not too bad. This is Janice Engel, the director-producer of Raise Hell, The Life and Times of Molly Ivins. So challenges to make a documentary film? Finding the money, number one. Number two, your subject has been dead for five years and you get told, well, it's a biopic and she's dead. Number three, you find out you're in the Sundance Film Festival. Oh my God, you cannot believe it. And you only have $12,000 in the bank and you have about 30 days to finish it. Those are a few challenges. 
I am beyond humbled and blown away, as are my producing partners, that not only did we get into Sundance, South by Southwest, and a whole mess of other film festivals, we got picked up by Magnolia Pictures, but all of that is really not important because we really wouldn't be anywhere without Molly Ivins. Molly Ivins is driving this bus. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be talking to you right now. So to find out who Molly Evans is, well, you're going to have to see the film. But let me put it to you this way. How many documentaries make you laugh? Not that many, huh? This one will make you laugh, it'll make you cry, and then it'll make you get busy because it's a call to action. It's about we the people. It's about your civic rights. It's about taking civic responsibility and fighting the good fight for freedom, for democracy. That's all I'll say right now, but I am humbled and blown away. And one last thing, we are 96 on Rotten Tomatoes, 96% with 50 plus critics and 100% with the audience. So uh, there's a lot for us to celebrate and to be totally grateful for. Thanks for having me on the Girls on Film podcast. And uh, that's it, signing off. Hi there, it's Ada Dora, the writer-director of LookSource. So 2020 started with complete joy at the Sundance Film Festival. I was back after a decade away with a film, having had three children. It was phenomenal. I was with my favorite people. And then when I got back, obviously the uh, news hit and we were thrown into this crazy pandemic year. It's been real highs and lows for us. And in a way we somehow managed to make it work, which is so wonderful, as some sort of space was made for films like ours. And we were able to show the film online. Uh, Unfortunately, our theatrical, literally the second lockdown, happened the day before our UK theatrical. But somehow we still, you know, in this environment, you just have to be positive and and think, you know, how can you get the film out there? And, And our distributor was amazing and we've had a great audience so we're really thankful and grateful that within all the the mess there's been a little space for for movies like ours and and it somehow worked out so hopefully this is just uh the beginning of something new my name is Zelmira Geinzer and I'm the cinematographer of Luxor a film written and directed by Zayn Adura This year has obviously been challenging in so many ways, but I do feel that the presence of female filmmakers is greater than ever and keeps on growing. So many of my favourite films this year were directed or shot by women. One of the many pluses of shooting Luxor was working with a female director, Zaina Dara, who brought her kids to set and insisted that I bring mine along as well, which I did. We all had a fantastic time, crew and kids, and I really look forward to more working environments of that kind. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film. Thanks to our executive producer, Hedda Archbold. This week's producer, Tom Wally. Our assistant producer, Heather Dempsey. Our intern, Eliana J. And Bird's Eye View, our partners for this episode. Bird's Eye View want me to remind you that everyone is welcome to join their Reclaim the Frame initiative. You can get free cinema tickets and viewing codes for the films they support. Go to birds-i-view.co.uk. Please subscribe and review us if you've enjoyed this episode and don't forget to check out our special film shows on the BFI's YouTube channel. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Mia Bays, Delphine Levens and Alison Gardner. Stay safe, everyone. Have a great Christmas and we will be back before the new year with another episode of Girls on Film. 
for the remix. Yeah. Preacher. Thank you.